0: But if you did fall away from God, you can never be renewed because Hebrews 6 says. Now that, if you can follow that, and call that favorite times of the year for me. I like Christmas a lot. I like the spirit of Christmas. But then Easter, you know, has a very special meaning. This is the day that we commemorate the resurrection of the Lord. Now, You wouldn't want to go to church someplace where they're talking about the resurrection of the Lord and life and uh, act like uh, you're dead, would you? See, service, uh, some services, some Easter services remind me of the tomb, not the garden. Praise the Lord. This is the place where he walks with us and talks with us and... We could feel his presence. Now tonight, we have a special Easter cantata. Brother Keith Manley, our pastor over in Watertown, will be directing our church choir. Now, it was not mentioned in the paper. Somehow the paper inadvertently announced that we were having revival services with Moses Hightower. I had someone to call me, I couldn't figure out where they were getting this. Well, they got it out of the paper. So if you read it in the paper and you thought you were coming to a revival service here this morning. Well, you came to the right place, and we're having a revival service, but Brother Hightower is preaching up in Minneapolis, and if you want to hear him, you're going to have to catch a fast plane (laughs) to Minneapolis. Brother Hightower will be with us next weekend, and we're looking forward to his coming once again to be with us. He really did bless our hearts, didn't he? Praise God, a very outstanding man of God, and a man that believes in the resurrecting power of Jesus. But tonight, at 7 o'clock, we have a special musical, so please come and be with us to all of our guests who are here. We, we trust that you will uh, come and be with us. I know that you will enjoy uh, our musical. In fact, I, I, I may be a little bit partial but I have not heard a choir do any better than our choir in special musicals when they put them on. We had one at, at uh, well, Christmas time when we had Noel Jesus is born. And then we had recently one during our youth week by Brother and Sister Mormon, directed by them. And it was just fantastic on the prodigal son. And I'm sure the musical tonight will be enjoyable. <clears throat> we will be serving communion So we'll have a regular Easter service. No communion this morning, but tonight we will have communion. Well, I'm going to have to stop talking about it. Otherwise, I'm going to be so excited about tonight. I won't be able to do today what the Lord wants me to do. Now, I don't know. I might be talking to somebody that only goes to church on Easter. You know, some people only do that. And we have several guests here. Now, I'm not going to be presumptuous as to say that that is... uh, the lot that you fall in, but I have heard that some people only go to church on Easter and Christmas. Now, usually uh, in a church on Easter Sunday morning, you hear a message about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And uh, Jesus Christ arose. And so you hear a message about the resurrection. Now, the only problem that you run into with that Easter message is that if you go to church only on Easter, and you've attended the last 25 years only on Easter, then you've had the same sermon preached to you 25 straight times. And it would be unfair for you to hear the same thing for the 26th time when there's so many good things in the Bible. Isn't that right? Right? Now, I know that none of you would lay out of church all year long and only go on Easter time, would you? But, praise God. The resurrection is great, and we'll try to put the resurrection right into our message as much as possible this morning. But we want to take it from a little bit different angle, uh, something that will be very easy to understand and something that's very scriptural. So take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. And thank you so very much for your offering this morning, the Save Our Children offering is used throughout the state of Wisconsin and throughout our fellowship for the purpose of promoting child evangelism. And this is very, very important. Last night, Brother and Sister Rutherford, Sister Grant, and myself previewed the focus on the family films that we will be showing next Saturday night. Starting at 6 o'clock here, we'll have focus on the family now, I don't know how many of you have registered. Would you raise your hand if you have? If you haven't registered, you need to register. Now, I'll tell you, they are just really good scriptural, uh, they are practical, and uh, just uh, very informative. If you have any association at all with children, if you're a grandparent, you need to listen. If you are a young person that will be married later on, then you need to listen. If you're one that doesn't plan on getting married, but you do contemplate having nieces and nephews, you need to come. Uh, I was just thoroughly touched whenever I, I, I previewed these. They're just really great. Focus on the family. The registration is $10.00. And, of course, the reason why we're charging $10, there will be a series of these nine films throughout the month of April. And, of course, the films cost us around $500. So we're trying to get 50 people together paying $10. And I'll tell you, that'll be the cheapest. I say the cheapest. uh, That'll be the best bargain, really, for the amount of information you get that you'll find any place in this life. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 through 25. Normally we stand, but I'm going to have you to be seated because I'm going to explain a few things as we go along. And then we will get right down to the subject. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Now this scripture displays vocally the the contrast in the system of the world and the system of God. Now the Bible tells us that there are two systems in operation on the planet earth. One is the cosmos which is the system in which Satan has set up his earthly reign and throne through mankind, and then of course the church that Jesus Christ has set up on the earth through mankind. Now, the Bible speaks of the difference in their thinking. Some people would come in here and hear us talk about Jesus Christ dying on the cross, and they would go out sneering. That's the silliest thing I ever heard of. That's crazy. I mean, what in the world does does blood and punishment and pain have to do with happiness and security and peace and joy? See? And so the Bible says that it is foolishness, but it's foolishness to them that perish. Perish. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You know, the greatest victory that God encountered over Satan was when the lifeless body of Jesus Christ received life again and he came out of that tomb. It was prophesied... I say prophesied, it was spoken of, in the, of the Lord back in Genesis 3, 16, after man had sinned. And most of you could quote this scripture this morning, but uh, for you who are not acquainted with it, I'd like to just read it to you. God gave to Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, 15, He gave to them a promise, even though He cursed The world He gave to them a promise, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The Bible tells us that, that God would put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of woman, the woman. And the Bible says that That enmity, which was Jesus Christ, would bruise the head of Satan. In doing so, it would bruise the heel of God. Now the heel of God is figuratively speaking, heel is the lowest part of the body. It's the body that touches the earth. It's the part that touches the ground, the earth, the soil. And the part of God that touched the earth was Jesus Christ. It was the lower part of God. It was the base element of God. And the Bible says that that form, that body of Jesus, would be bruised. But you see, it was not bruising the head of God. Why? Because God is a spirit. Now you could probably take me down to the uh, university hospital this morning and you could amputate my, my whole foot and I would live. In fact, I would probably live if I ran out in front of a semi out here on the freeway someplace and it just happened to cut my foot off. But I've never heard yet of anybody who had their head amputated and lived. Because you can't make it without your head. You can't make it without your brain. You can't live without it. And so the Bible is saying that Jesus Christ... Would drive that enmity between the seed of the serpent and between the seed of woman. In doing so, it would bruise the heel of God, and that's what Jesus Christ was. But when the heel was bruised, it would also bruise the head. Did you know that Satan is suffering now from a headache? That will destroy him. It's been bruised. But its it has been bruised in such a way that that bruise will cause death to Satan and all of his empire. Now, <clears throat> one good way of really getting even with the devil... Is that when he bothers you, is for you to look at him right straight in the eye, so to speak, and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, Jesus taught us to do that. Now, the reason why that we can take dominion over the devil like that is because, you see, the devil is the eternally defeated foe. A curse has already been pronounced upon him. And let me interject this. If you're falling after Satan and the disciples of Satan and the things of the world, friend, you're on a losing team. And I was reading someplace in a paper this past year, and of course I don't uh, follow the sports world that closely. I am around a lot of young people who are always talking about this, that, and the other. But uh, somebody told me that Northwestern University had not won a football game in 26 uh, consecutive games. I mean, they'd lost 26, or something like that, wasn't it? Anybody know? Okay. <clears throat> That's where I get all my information, see. So <laughs> Brother Perry. <laughs> Truth of the matter is, I I knew it was 26. (laughs) But uh, now, I think they won three or four games this past year. Or I, I know they won one because when I was reading about it, they said that they snapped their losing streak. They won a game. Now, you know, the truth of the matter, if I were a prospective college athlete, and I had planned on signing a letter of intent to go to a particular college, you couldn't have paid me to go to Northwestern to play football. I mean, who in the world wants to play for somebody who's lost 26 consecutive games? You're talking about a loser. I mean, you'd almost... Now, if they go in and, and, and they could recruit all state players from everywhere and somehow they could just turn the program around. But see, programs are not turning around that way. Now, I'm not serving the Lord simply because that it's just good to always to be with the winner. But I'll tell you one thing, I think that's part of the benefits. I feel very, very secure on the Lord's side. Isn't that right? And I feel very, very insecure when I think of what would be happening to me right now. I get that insecure feeling. If I had not have turned my heart over to the Lord. Oh, you may be big and tall and strong and tough. You may eat a keg of nails every morning for breakfast. But listen, I'm here to tell you it doesn't make any difference how tough you are. You're on a losing team if you're not on the Lord's side. I'm in a real losing team. So I want to preach to you this morning on God's ability to confound Satan or confuse Satan. Now let's go on in the reading of this. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You hear people speaking all over. And some of these people who speak, you just, you're just awestricken stricken with their ability to, to master and handle certain things. Now, I see nothing wrong with that. It's just that when you leave God out of the story, you know, you're just not smart enough to to make it without God. You're just not smart enough to make it without God. And the Bible speaks of people who are ever learning yet never come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what happens is that uh, uh, people come sometimes to uh, a church church who uh, are not altogether right with the Lord and who consider themselves to be fairly intelligent, they see somebody that maybe doesn't have a very good education and such and they're clapping their hands and they're praising the Lord and they're stomping their feet, you know, and all of this. And Did you know there are a whole lot of people like that in the world that, that can live peaceably with their neighbors? They, they, they're happy. They, they don't have any problems, so to speak. They're good citizens. They're a compliment to their community. And yet some of the smarter people of this world, and I, I'm not saying this to, to degrade uh, intelligence at all, but some of the smarter people of this world who are trying to bring about an ideal living situation on this planet Earth uh, can't get along with their wives, can't get along with their children, can't get along with their neighbors. Uh, they're in constant strife. They gender up issues all the time, keep the people stirred up. And so a person like that may come into the house of the Lord and see this fairly unintelligent person clapping their hands and worshiping the Lord and such, and they they sneer at it. You know, I made up my mind a long time ago that regardless of what I saw in people responding to the Lord until I checked it out scripturally, I won't say anything about it. Why? Because if I don't know or if I'm in question as to what they're doing and I haven't checked it out scripturally, I will not jeopardize my association, my walk with God by sneering at something that maybe God has ordained. So I developed this particular philosophy, and uh, I think it would be a good one for all people. If God's happy with it, I'm tickled to death with it. What makes God happy just tickles me to death. Well, I'm happy with anything God's happy with. See? But there's just uh, there there is just something about human nature that when he sees men respond to God, you know, he <laughs> crazy. But the truth of the matter is, God looks down at the people who are, are sneering. And the Bible says one of these days that God's going to laugh at their calamity. Why do people laugh? They laugh when they see something funny. But when God laughs, it ain't funny. Let's go on. All right. For after that, the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them. that believe. The foolishness of preaching. For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ the power of God. And the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than. Than men. The most foolish thing. That God's ever done. Is so much more intelligent. Than the wisest thing. That man's ever come up with. Isn't that something? And the weakness of God. Is stronger than man. As weak as God could be. As weak and humble as he could lower himself to be, he's still a whole lot stronger than the strongest force on this planet earth. you believe all this? Oh yes, I believe it. You better believe it. Praise God. Now you see, <clears throat> the thing about it, while people are saying it's crazy to serve the Lord, and some people do, And so they go after the devil. And you've got to go after one or the other. You know, Brother Rutherford made a statement here this morning about people giving themselves over to something. And uh, uh, Brother Hightower, in his preaching, you know, he said there's no in-between ground. He gave this illustration, which was a very good one. But the the truth of the matter is that uh, you've got to be on one side or the other. You know, like Paul said... He speaks of becoming a fool for Christ's sake. Well, the truth of the matter is, everybody becomes a fool in a particular area of their life. Now, when we say a fool, we are talking about they become foolish, they become caught up in it, so to speak. Now, when Paul says, I become a fool for Christ's sake, it simply means that I am totally possessed with this thought of winning the loss of the Lord. And so he was considered a fool for Christ's sake. But you show me what is your number one priority, and I'll show you the individual that is a fool and tell you what area he's a fool in. You know, some people get caught up in hobbies. You know, some people get caught up in physical exercise. There are people who spend thousands of dollars and and hours each day just running up and down the road uh, uh, you know jogging and lifting weights and such you go into some of the bookstores and you see these guys with these muscles bigger than my waist well maybe not that big but but, you know (laughs) I'd like to think of it that way (laughs) for my sake but uh but you, but you see all this, and, uh, and and this seems to be a dream that kids get caught up in. Man, I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to go down to the beach, you know, and I'm going to show off all of my muscles. And, and uh, Well, you'd have to spend all your life just lifting those weights to get like that. You don't see many people that way, do you? Why? Because most people have responsibilities. They just can't be that way, even if they wanted to. But you show me what is number one in your life, and I'll show you the area in which you are totally possessed. See, So everybody's caught up in something. Have you ever seen the man who wasn't interested in anything? I never have. You know. He doesn't like to fish, he doesn't like to hunt, he doesn't like to read, doesn't like to listen to music, doesn't like to go to church, he doesn't like to go to work, he doesn't like to. That doesn't sound like anybody I know. Because everybody I know is caught up. You know, you'll you'll find a person who who just seems to be bland, absolutely blank, nothing, but you go into their house, you'll find that hey, that's not true. They're finishing antiques in the basement. You didn't know all about it. But they spend all their time. Or they're putting together train sets or something. Or they've got a a basement full of aquariums or something. Or they've got something going. Because everybody is given to something. Now if this is true, of which it is, then it only makes sense to me to be giving myself to something that is valuable something that's lasting, something that will not decay. I saw on a reader board one time under a church sign, and this is what the reader board said, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And how true it is. While people are sitting back in there, hee- 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 you know, crazy, crazy, crazy. Look at all of that hand clapping, dancing in the spirit, shouting, going to church all the time, prayer meetings, campus ministry, bus ministry. I mean, surely we got to get something out of life. See? But you'll find that when God really gets a hold of your heart and turns you around and you begin to think differently, you know, I guess a person a person could just make himself love anything. But I didn't find it very hard to love the Lord. I didn't find it very hard to love the Lord. In fact, I found it very easy. And you know, I was following after Satan. I was following after the ways of Satan. And uh, <clears throat> well, you think that Satan is just as blinded as his disciples are, but that's not true. You see, while the Satan's disciples are going around and they're saying, Oh, this religious stuff, I guess it's alright for some people if, they don't, if they're not intelligent enough to find happiness and peace. And, and Well, I guess some people need a crutch. I actually heard a U, UW professor make that statement. He said, somebody needs a crutch. But all people don't need crutches. See? Take an intelligent man like me. Now, he didn't say that, but that's what you're reading. I'm smart enough, but I don't even need this. Well, now he's following after Satan. The truth of the matter is Satan has him blinded. Is Satan blinded himself? Now think of it just for a moment. Let's turn to James, the second chapter. <clears throat> James, the second chapter, verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe, and they're very calm and collective about it. No, they're not calm and collective about it. Now, I'm going to make a statement here that might provoke you, it may even shock you, it may make you mad. But it was not until 325 A.D. that the church world came up with the idea that there was a trinity. Now, they did have the idea, but they did not establish as a church doctrine. Reading your encyclopedias, whether it be Catholic encyclopedias, Jewish encyclopedias, or whatever, you'll find that the church world came to the conclusion at the Council of Nicaea that there was a trinity. Now prior to that, historians tell us that the early church fathers believed in the monotheistic theory, and they use the word theory, that is that God was one. Now it's not just a theory, because I believe it's a fact because the Bible teaches it that way. See? Now... It's, it seems strange to me that the devil could inspire people to believe this. That they're, well, they're three persons of the Godhead God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, each being co equal, coexistent, and coeternal. Now, he inspires people to believe this. Yet he himself knows that's not right. And he sends out his servants to propagate a doctrine that's not real, a doctrine that's not scriptural, and try to make true Christian believers feel intimidated for not believing that. One recent radio commentator up in the Nina uh, Manasha area stated that the United Pentecostal Church was a cult because they did not accept the doctrine of the Trinity. And he sneered at that. He said, can you believe intelligent, Bible-believing people who cannot believe the Trinity? Calm, collective, intimidating, and yet, Satan, the inspirer of all corrupt doctrines, when he hears about it, friend, he doesn't sit still. <laughs> can, can, can you, how do you tremble? Could somebody tremble for me? How do you tremble? Am I trembling? If thou believest in one God, thou doest well. The devils believe also, and they tremble. That simply means they are awe-stricken with the power and the might of the one omnipotent God that's powerful enough to do anything he so desires to do. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Now, you see, the devil. Tries to outsmart people. And he can outsmart people. See, Satan, in Isaiah 14, was called the son of the morning. Now the morning denotes light. The creative days, the evening and the morning were the first day. The word morning there means a particular period of light. A creative day consists of a period of darkness and a period of light. Our day today, uh, we have daylight outside now. Around five o'clock, it will start turning dark. Now all of this is one day. Satan, however, was called the Son of the Morning. He was the angel of light or the angel of revelation and understanding. And when he rebelled against God and was taken out of his position and cast down into the earth because he rebelled against God, he became a master at deceiving people. Why? Because he knew too much and understood too much. And he also knew that what he needed to do to keep people away from God is to deceive them, blind them, take away their knowledge of the Lord. Yet God is the source of all light. Now, the devil, even though he tries in various ways, he has never been able to confuse the Lord. But he confuses people. See? So there are a lot of people who are confused about the uh, uh, oneness of God. While the devil himself is not confused over that. But you see, he'll work into people, into their mind, into their ideas and such, and get them all confused, knowing full well the truth. That's the way he operates. Could the devil win a victory over you in any shape, form, or fashion if he couldn't get you to believe a lie? Well, you see, everything that he is involved in has to do with a lie. I mean, could he get me discouraged if I wouldn't listen to him? No, there are a lot of people who walk away from the church and, and, and go back out into darkness simply because they believe lies. See, one of the first things that happens to a person when they begin to backslide, we use the term backslide, we're talking about falling away from God and such, they get the idea that people don't love them anymore. They say, the preacher doesn't like me, doesn't have time for me. Brothers and sisters don't like me, they don't have time for me. The people over the church are cold and they're indifferent and they don't they don't love. You see... Most of that is conjured up in their own mind. See? That becomes a figment of their imagination. Where would that come from? Well, the devil makes you believe lies. Not too long ago, and I'll put this in. You have a humorous story. Individual attended church here. Individual was not in this church at this time. and Never did really get into church, but anyway the individual attended church and I made a statement while I was preaching and I'm not going to what the statement was about but at any rate <clears throat> the man thought that uh, I knew that he was doing something that uh, I didn't really have any idea that it, that he was doing see you know every now and then you just stand up here and you preach and you'd be surprised how much you identify certain things <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord for the dish. <laughs> that, that's just a little secret he shared with me. So, <clears throat> but uh, you'd be surprised, see how the Lord really works and 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 meets your need and gives you instructions sometimes, and the preacher doesn't even know. I mean, he's just up here preaching, you know. So, anyway, I was up here preaching, and and so I identified something in his life. Well, he called me up two o'clock in the morning. I was fast asleep. Call me up, Pastor Grant yes I said who is this and he told me I said what's wrong he says oh you know what's wrong (laughs) and I said no I said uh, sorry he said oh yes yes oh yes said you know what's wrong and you know then he told me he said now he said I walked in the men's room downstairs and you were talking with brother Rutherford okay now he said After I came out of the men's room, Brother Rutherford was talking with Don Moran. And Don Moran was talking to Rich Thomas later. And Rich Thomas was talking to somebody out in the parking lot. Now, can you believe that? Now, let let me, let me just show you what the mind can do. What he thought that I was doing, I was talking to Brother Rutherford about his problem. Brother Rutherford ran straight to Don Moran. Don Moran ran straight to Rich Thomas. Rich Thomas was talking to somebody out in the parking lot. I said, now, if you would follow Rich around for two or three days, he's probably talking to somebody else. But it doesn't mean he's talking about your problem. I said, he said, oh, he said, you never made me believe that. I said, now, I'm, I'm serious with you. I said, why did you think that I was talking to Brother Rutherford about your problem? You know what he said? He said, what else could you be talking about? <clears throat> now that's the way you, he said, what else could you be talking about? Well, at the time I knew what we were talking about. And it was so far removed. And so I told him. He said, but that's not a story that Brother Rutherford would want, that's not information Brother Rutherford want to go tell Don Moran. I said, Don, Brother Rutherford knows Brother Moran, and he was probably talking to him about something else. But then he said, why would Brother Moran then run to Rich Thomas? I said, they were probably talking about something else. <laughs> he was thoroughly convinced. Now, do you want me to tell you something how ridiculous it is? He's not in church today because he believes that. I said, my brother, my brother-in-law, Brother Rutherford is a fine man. And we talk about everything from the Christian school to his wife, who happens to be my sister. (laughs) And he has a very good rapport with Brother Moran. There's no telling what they were talking about. He said, but he just, he had that conjured up in his mind. He still believes that. He absolutely believes that. Now, what causes people to believe things like that? Deception. Where does deception come from? It comes from Satan. The Bible tells us in Matthew 25:41 Then shall he also, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, hell was actually prepared for the devil and his angels. It was not really made for men. But why will some people, why will some people go to hell? Because they follow Satan right into hell. They, they, they believe every little story that he's telling. Now, when I was a kid, I used to be fascinated with catching wild animals. My, my dad was a, was a hunter. I enjoyed hunting, but I wasn't very good at it. But uh, <clears throat> we did a lot of quail hunting, and we ate a lot of quail. Now, my dad taught me how to, to build a little, little box and uh, just how to catch quail. And so I became a real master at that. Now, I want to show you here just how to catch quail in case you ever want to, but there are no quail around here, so you'd have to go some other place to do it. But we had a box. I, I built a box, and when I build a box, I build the box out of small vines and twigs and limbs. You usually take a, about a half inch to three quarter inch diameter. And you just crisscross them and stack them up. You've seen kids build little pyramids out of popsicle sticks. Okay, that's what it looks like. And uh, you build it out of this and you leave some of the limbs and such on it. And then what you do, you prop it up like this. Now right underneath that you put a stick. And on that stick then you put an ear corn. Now what happens is that, that uh, uh, the quail would never find... The quail would never find the ear of corn underneath that apparatus. But what you do, you bait a trail where you know the quail are running. You take and uh, you take a whole ear of corn and you just drop a little here and drop a little there and drop a little here. And you go way out. Now what happens is the quail would be afraid of that box if they just saw it. It's different. In other words, trees don't grow like that. See? But what the, what the intent is that you start the quail way off, maybe 50, 100 feet, and he's so preoccupied with what he's doing that he's in the trap before he knows he's in the trap. And so he picks up those little kernels, and he's got his head down, and he's walking, and he's got his head down, and he's walking, and he's scratching around, and he's calling others, and they're having a big party. And all of a sudden, he gets underneath the trap. Now, he hasn't looked up to figure out that trees don't grow in pyramids. See? But he's underneath the trap, and when he gets underneath the trap, he's so preoccupied by eating corn that he forgets about The fact that that safety uh, is involved in this. And all of a sudden, the trap falls down on him. You catch a whole covey of quails that way. See? And and this is what happens to people. This is the way... You know, the devil baits his trap. And people end up in hell simply because they, they follow Satan to hell. I mean, they literally follow him to hell. The Bible says... The devil is the eternally defeated foe. Do you know where he's going to end up? In hell. And and I would instruct you if you're trying to win a victory over Satan, that you remind him of that. He doesn't like that language. If you want if you really want to make him afraid, start talking about Jesus, the one God, and that there's no other name, and that Satan has been bruised by Jesus Christ, there's a cancer that's growing in your head that was bruised at Calvary that's going to cause eternal damnation. The sick can be healed because Satan is the eternally defeated foe. The oppressed can be set free because Jesus Christ gives liberty. I'll tell you what you're going to do, friend. You put the devil on the run. He doesn't like that. I mean, he literally trembles. And I'll tell you, any time that you feel that there's a, an oppression upon you, anytime you feel that Satan is about to win a victory, the best thing to do is in your mind or even verbally, I mean aloud, uh, start quoting one God Scriptures. I've heard people say, the service is bound. You ever gone into a place where they talk about, man, there was a real binding spirit in that service tonight. Now, when I was a kid, we used to go to... Uh, churches all over the country and revival services. I'd get in the car and my mother would say, you know, we had a good altar service, but there was a real binding spirit. And I wondered all about that, see? What do you mean, binding spirit? And of course she said, well, you know, sometimes, John, the devil just comes in and just kind of locks up everything. And I thought, wow, you mean the devil can do that? things that he could do to me and and i got real confused you know all i could see the devil doing is just taking away my health and all i could see him doing is taking away all my happiness and taking away all my friends and i could see myself maybe in a foster home someplace or an orphanage because my parents were killed all i could see was me in rags and and tattered jeans and everything and of course that's back before they wore tattered jeans and such and so all that's all i could see you know and 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 I literally I literally lived in fear, you know, after my mother would talk about that. Well, after I started preaching and, and I was saved and started reading my Bible, I found out that 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 Christians have power over satanic forces. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. And occasionally I go places where you know they're having revival service. Maybe I'm preaching and the people say, Oh, there's a real binding spirit here. You know how to get rid of that binding spirit? All you need to do to get rid of that binding spirit start start singing songs about Jesus Christ and, and, and about His power and about His omnipotence. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. While Satan comes in sometimes like a strong man to bind the temple of man. Listen, if you start singing songs about Jesus Christ, the devils really start trembling. They start shaking. They don't like it! Now, that's Scripture, friend. I say, that's Scripture. And if you feel the devil's on your back, what you need to do is start quoting Scripture. Praise God. You see, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of the Lord. Praise God. Just start calling on the name of Jesus. Praise God. And so, when we get in a service, I feel the Spirit's not flowing real good. Every now and then, I'll step up here and and, uh, start singing some choruses. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Oh, there's one, 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 only one way to God. I know there's one, 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 only one way to God. And I forget all about that binding spirit. Praise God. After a while, there's no spirit around but God's spirit, let alone a binding one. Why? Well, Satan fears that. Now, you see, man alone, separate and apart from God, is not able to outwit God. Satan my brother Hightower preached about the stone and about it being placed, placed at the Sepulchre I'd like to just call your attention to that just for a moment <clears throat> turn back with me to Matthew 2527 pardon me verse 66 so they went and made the sepulchre sure sealing the stone and setting a watch. In other words, they sealed the stone. Jesus Christ had died. He was up, placed uh, taken down from the cross and placed in a borrowed tomb. And uh, the guards of, of uh, the Roman guards did not want his body stolen. And so they said, seal it. We're going to keep him in there. Well, now, if the devil could have kept Jesus Christ in that tomb, Where would we be? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if that would have happened, we would all still be in our sin. For if Christ be not raised from the dead, he said, we're all in our sin. And we're going to seal it. We're going to keep him in there. Well, first place, you see, God doesn't have a problem outwitting the devil. He doesn't have a problem outsmarting the devil. Don't you know that while those Roman soldiers were gritting their teeth and grunting and sweating and and perspiration, you know, all over them and veins popped out and muscle swelling, don't you know that the Lord was looking down and saying, How ridiculous. I mean, how Ridiculous. Look at those guys down there. They got a stone that's that's ten feet wide and six foot high and four feet thick, and they think they're gonna keep the body of Jesus in the tomb. Well that's ridiculous. Why is that ridiculous? The Bible tells us with the span of his hands he made the heavens. With his hand he scooped out the, the seas. Why, that stone was just a drop in the bucket compared to the Rocky Mountains or mountains in the area. And I thought, we're going to keep that stone, and we're going to see if we can keep him in that tomb. But you see, God has the ability to outwit the devil, to outsmart the devil, to confound the devil. First place, when Jesus Christ arose, he did not need the stone rolled away to come out of the tomb. Why was a stone rolled away? The earthquake came not to let Jesus Christ out, but the earthquake came to roll back the stone so you and I could see he's not in there. But he didn't need the stone rolled away to get out of there, friend. This is the reason why... <clears throat> The disciples met, some of them not knowing Jesus had been resurrected, and all of a sudden with all the windows and the doors and everything closed because they thought their Redeemer was dead. He's in a tomb, and they had heard some reports, you know, that had infiltrated into the camp of the disciples, but yet there was fear that came upon them. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Master, our Savior, our Redeemer, our King is dead. And all of a sudden, He walks through a wall. Isn't that something? Now you tell me that he needed the stone rolled away? No. Then why did the earthquake roll the stone away? So that they could see. So that Mary and Martha could see. So the Roman soldiers could see. So that everybody who came to that sepulcher could see. He's not in there. He's not... There's not a man walking around that's impersonating him. That is Jesus. But can you you can you feature how ridiculous though those Roman soldiers, shoulder to shoulder, pushing a stone up. Got their caulking guns, they're gonna seal it all up. I don't know if they did it that way or not. But they're gonna get it all ready. Can you can you and God's looking down and thinking, how ridiculous. I mean this The foolishness of God is wiser than man. Look at them down there. That's ridiculous. Jesus went and preached to the spirits that were in prison. Praise God. And I'll tell you one thing. I get great consolation when I think of that. The Bible says that Jesus ascended to the lower parts of the earth and preached to the spirits that were in prison. When Jesus Christ died, you see, the grave, sometimes in the Bible is interpreted as hell, just like the baptismal tank is a symbol of his burial. You see, when we're baptized and our sins are remitted or washed away, they are cast into hell. See, Jonah was in the bottom of the sea and the belly of the whale, and the Bible says from hell he cried out. It was at that time that there was a transformation that took place in Jonah's life. And the sign of Jonas of being three days and three nights in the heart of the earth was also a sign of Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and resurrection, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign was in the Old Testament. It's really a sign of transformation. It's a sign of new birth. But you see, we were all held captive by Satan until such a time that Jesus Christ bruised his head. The Bible says that he came to set the captive free. Praise God, praise God. When he came, the Bible says that men were in darkness sitting in the shadow of hell. And Jesus Christ came upon the scene. Praise God. You see, he's my deliverer. He's my soon-coming King. He's my Lord and Savior. I fear no evil walking by His side. Let the world sneer if they want to. Let the world jeer if they want to. Let them say what they want to. God's looking down. I'm telling you, when God looks down, He said, this is all foolishness. Doesn't man understand my omnipotence? Jesus went right down to the very gates of hell where people were held captive and knocked upon the gates of hell. I can just see Satan, and I made reference to this, coming out, looking, all the devils of hell, who are you? Well, now, Satan knew who it was. Satan was responsible for his crucifixion on the cross. Can't you just see Jesus there? I've come after something, Satan. I came to get it. Who are you? Look at the nail prints, buddy. You know who I am. You put them there. Look at the spear wound in my side, buddy. You know who I am. What'd you come after? You knew what I come after. Give me the keys to death. Hell and the grave. I came after them wow. Thou believest in one God. Thou doest well. The devils believe also and tremble. Here they are. Take them. Take them. Get out of here. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, friend. Jesus didn't need an earthquake. But the old ground began to rumble, and it began to shake, and the rocks began to split. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And you know what happened? Jesus Christ came forth, and the stone rolled away. And the Bible tells us in Matthew, the 27th chapter, the Bible says that many of the Old Testament saints, after his resurrection came forth and walked into the holy city and ministered to the people. Praise God. Did you know that there's already been a resurrection? I say, did you know there's already been a resurrection? Why were they resurrected? Because Jesus Christ got the keys to the grave and opened them up. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And I just get so thrilled we're reading our Bible through on our bread program, but you know, when we first start and you get in the book of Genesis and everything and, 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 you, and you read these stories about these Old Testament saints. And, and of course, uh, you don't really know how much they knew about God or how much they didn't know. But you assume certain things because of statements that they say, that they make. A statement that, that, uh, that Jacob made when he went down to the household of Israel... With, with the household of Israel down into Egyptian bondage, you know what he said. He said, "Now when I die, you're gonna you're gonna bury me." But he said, uh, "When you march out of here one of these days, he said, I want you to go dig up my bones, and I want you to take them back to Israel." Now I don't think his bones had to be in Israel, but it almost appears taking everything in context, that this old patriarch knew there's going to be a resurrection. And the Old Testament saints are going to preach in the holy city. I'm just going to kind of help God out a little bit, I guess. So, bury me in the promised land. Because when he comes forth, I'm going to walk down those cobblestone streets and i'm going to talk about the king that has the keys in his hand i'm going to talk about the redeemer that took me out of the grave oh i'm here to tell you friend that jesus christ is preparing a church right here on this planet earth and buried beneath the sod of this green earth are many saints who sleep with the lord Praise God, praise God. Over at Rose Lawn Cemetery, we put down Brother Keith Armstrong over there in 1972. Just this past year, we put down Brother Ray Hughes over there. Praise God. Let me tell you something, friend. There ain't no grave gonna hold their body down. One of these days, the trumpet of the Lord's going to sound, and they're going to get up. They're going to get up on the ground. Why? Because He, Jesus, holds the key to the grave in His hand. Praise God! Because He arose, hallelujah, Ray Hughes will rise. And because He rose, Keith Armstrong will rise. And because He rose, the sisters and the brothers of all ages that have been put to rest in Jesus Christ are going to get up out of the ground. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord. Oh, thank God, thank God, thank God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. I feel the presence of the Lord. Let's praise Him again. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. Oh, 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 praise God. Let's stand, would you, right now, everybody? Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. And so you preach Christ and Him crucified. sounds like a crazy thing to me. Such a cruel story of blood and suffering and a crown of thorns and a cross and all of this. Then you come along and tell us that we need to be baptized in Jesus' name after we've fully repented of our sins and been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Why? I just don't believe all that stuff. You know, right here underneath this cross, there's a tank full of water. You know what we do with that water? Oh, we do several things with that water. <clears throat> what do you mean several things? Well, <clears throat> there's a big coffee pot that's right outside in a little, little closet out here. No, we don't make coffee with that water. It's an old worn-out coffee pot. I water that uh, Boston fern out there out of the baptismal tank. The only reason why I do that is because that ice-cold water in that refrigerated uh, fountain out there will cause that fern to, to tremble for sure. So we use it for that. But the main purpose of that tank is to take some heart who has changed his mind, who has been pricked inwardly about sin, and you take that person and you bury them in that water. I meant you literally bury them in that water. Now, <clears throat> I've had a lot of people who had never had seen anybody baptized and didn't know what it was all about, came up to me and, and questioned me that, about that. Said, let's look at that tank. So I've taken them up there and showed it to them. I mean, we literally bury them. Brother George, come here. Just come up here. <clears throat> Some of you don't have any idea what this is all about? This man, let's, let's pretend he came out of the altar this morning. He said, Pastor Grant, God has touched my heart and I'm a sinner and I know I'm not right. What do I need to do? He's fully repented. God, how merciful in me, a sinner. We take him baptized and bury him. Now, this is the way I do. I say, you hold one hand here. You hold the other hand here. We take it slow and easy. Now, we're going to believe that God's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost when you come up out of that tank. What are we doing? You see, just as Jesus Christ was buried, so are we buried with Him. This man, who had no hope, is about to receive hope through the Lord. Praise Praise God. So I call the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as He holds my hand. And we literally put Him all the way under. And He comes back up out of that water. And he lifts his hands. Brother O'Neill, you remember when that happened to you? Oh, yeah. Praise God! Praise God! <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the statement I'm about to make. The Old Testament saints who went to sleep with a hope that God would raise them up. Their total confidence was in God. But if Jesus had not arisen, there would be no hope for those people. Neither would there be any hope for us. It was not until after his death, burial, and resurrection that the Holy Ghost was poured out. Did you know the Old Testament saints did not receive the Holy Ghost as we received it? Why can we receive the Holy Ghost today? Because, see, you put the old man under, and you bring up a new man. That baptismal tank is a grave. It's a burial point. And the reason why that God gives the Holy Ghost today is because He has the key to unlock the grave. And when He resurrects the saints literally resurrects them, they come out new people. But you see, the sign of Jonas was a sign of the new birth. An old Jonah went down in the sea, but out of the belly of the whale came a new Jonah, a changed Jonah. If Jesus Christ had not have resurrected himself from the grave... If God could not have pulled him up, you know what we'd be doing in church today? We'd still be talking about that which is to come, knowing full well that there was a defeat at Calvary. No Holy Ghost. Why? Because there was no unlocking of the grave. But you see, He unlocked the grave. And that's why I can go down now and come up a new person. Praise God. And this is the power of God unto salvation. A new person. Do you want to become new in the Lord today? You can. But listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. The death, the burial, and the resurrection is more than an Easter story. It is a literal experience that you can have with God. We are crucified with Him just as He died. So can you nail your sinful soul and body to the cross with Him. Just as He was buried, then can you be buried. Just as He arose to newness of life, friend... You can also rise a newness of life. On this Easter 1983. There's a place prepared already for you to pray. On either side of the pulpit. As Sister Grant sings this. Sister Sue pardon me. Sister Wittenbach. Sings this chorus for us. I'd like for you to bow your head and contemplate. He is Lord. He is Lord Won't you come and give your heart to the Lord Some are coming already He has risen